0: Episode 188 with Chris Widener, named a top 50 speaker in the world. He's also a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author. And even more impressive, Chris was hand-selected by two of the legends in the world to work with them, and now he carries on their legacy, Jim Rohn one of the most successful speakers of the last 50 years also known for being Tony Robbins's first mentor made Chris his last protege and worked with Chris for the last seven years of his life Chris and Jim co-authored the Jim Rohn one-year success plan as well as Jim's last book the 12 pillars Jim called Chris the leader of the next generation of personal development and leadership experts. Even more impressive, Zig Ziglar, considered to be the greatest motivational speaker of the 20th century, personally chose Chris to co-host his television show, True Performance. You really do not want to miss out on this one to hear Chris' uncovered story and how you can absolutely dominate and become a phenomenal public speaker. If anything sticks out to you, please take a screenshot and put it up on your Instagram story or on LinkedIn, and both Chris and I will definitely, definitely give you some feedback and give you the love that you deserve. Without further ado, episode 188 with Chris Wyden. Chris, the first question that I like to ask my guests is, "How do you spend your time here on planet Earth?"
1: I spend my time here on planet Earth trying to make a difference. Um, in fact, I just gave a speech the other day to very high uh, income, high achieving people. There was fifty of them in the room. They all paid ten thousand dollars to be there, and that was sort of what came up. It was a two day conference. I was one of the speakers, and and uh, and I basically just said, you know what, making money, you know, that's great. If you have money, that's great. Uh, it's a lot more fun to do life with money than without money. But hmm. at the end of your life, money goes away. Um, money can't save your life at the end of your life. Eventually, uh, all the money in the world does you no good. And the only thing that really is left is what you've done and the impact you've made and the people whose lives you've changed and, and made a difference in. Uh, Jim Rohn and I, in our book, The 12 Pillars, we said, um, mm. you can't determine how long you live. You can only determine how well you live. And so uh, I try to live well and make a difference and make an impact in people's lives.
0: Such a beautiful answer, Chris. And, you know, when I was doing my digging up on you, you've worked with, you know, the legends Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy. Um, You know, so I think it's really easy for somebody listening to this podcast right now to look at you as sort of this, you know, finished product that has people pay $10,000 to, you know, see them speak, but I'm sure it didn't start off like that. So sort of paint the picture here. I mean, who were you – what were you like as a kid? Were you always a sort of speaker, businessman, have your own show? Or what were some of the main pivotal moments that um, really forced you to make a decision, if any, to sort of live this life
1: path? Yeah, I was far from where I am today. In fact, I was speaking to some very high achievers. We actually had a woman in the room who's worth about $25 billion, one of the wealthiest women in the world. And, uh, she was one of the other speakers and she was there. And, and, uh, in this speech, I said, look, I didn't start out in a room full of people like this. Um, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in a, an investment deal that I'm doing. And I was sitting in a, an office that's shared by three families that total are worth $40 billion. And while I was sitting in their, uh, in their boardroom, I remembered my childhood. I had sort of this flashback, um, my childhood was as far as you could possibly get away from this. I lived in 28 homes. I went to uh, 11 different schools. My dad died when I was four. I was so bad as a kid. My mom shipped me off to live with relatives twice, once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade. Uh, I started drugs and alcohol in the sixth grade. Um, seventh grade, I smoked pot every single day. I had a 1.4 grade point average. On the last day of school, the principal called my mother in and said, I went to a two-year uh, middle school, seventh and eighth grade. He said, Chris doesn't deserve to be put into the eighth grade, but we know he's smart and that he he knows the information. But based on his grades, he doesn't deserve to go into the eighth grade. But frankly, we don't want him here for two more years, so we're going to move him into the eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> I made most of my money growing up betting the horses at Long Acres Horse Track and standing on the street, scorn- street corner selling and scalping uh so, you know Seattle Mariners tickets and Seattle Seahawks tickets and final four tickets when the final four came to Seattle and um I was a real troublemaker i was i was about hundred and fiftieth out of 172 kids in my class um and i I just was going absolutely nowhere until I came to that moment where I realized you know summer before my junior or my senior year of high school I was like i have one more year of school left and then i'm out on my own. And I wanted something out of life. I wanted to make money. I wanted to find love. I wanted, you know, what everybody wants. And and, and everybody does want Mm -hmm. the same thing. We all want to be financially secure. We all want to find love. We all want to have good friends. We all want to live a long, healthy lifestyle. You know, Everybody wants the same thing. We may define it a little bit differently, but, um, I came to a moment where I just thought I, I I am better than this. I want to do better than this, and I better get my act together. And thankfully, even though my dad was di- you know, my dad had died, um, I ended up with a lot of really great mentors, both in the business world as well as in the speaking world. When I became a speaker,
0: wow, quite the background. So, you know, when you were sort of getting out of that environment, out of that position, was there something that like a, a business thing or something that really just popped off for you, or like what what was uh what was a real sign that the tides were turning for you, like when you were at that troubled time?
1: Well, I I decided to make a change and then I got into college. I eked my way into college. I went to a very small school where the only requirement to get in was that you graduated and the check cleared on your tuition payment. I mean, that was about it. Um, and I got a degree in youth and family work. I was going to go help kids like me and, or like I had been. Mm. And, um, uh, I started speaking right out of college. I was speaking at high schools and summer camps and junior highs and colleges and youth groups and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, Mm. and then I moved to Northern New Jersey. I took a, a job as a youth director and, uh, this, It was in a a church in northern New Jersey in a very wealthy town, and there was no youth director in this town. You know, there wasn't a YMCA, there wasn't you know, none of the churches had any youth directors. So I sort of became the town's youth director, and it was a small town, maybe four or five thousand people total, but it was extremely wealthy. And on the board of this church that I had to answer to that paid my salary was all these guys that were basically titans of industry out of New York City. And one of the guys that took me under his wing was the CEO of Mars candies at the time he was senior vice president of marketing. He ended up the CEO of Mars had to move to Virginia, but the number two guy at Prudential, the number six guy at Exxon, Hmm. a former quarterback in the NFL. I mean uh, the, the former CEO of Sealand corporation, one of the largest shipping companies in the world. And so as a young man, 22 who had grown up without a dad and had a really crazy background, um, this was a goldmine for me to all of a sudden be in a relationship with all these guys that were leading, you know, companies worth billions and billions of dollars.
0: Wow, that that sounds absolutely amazing, man. So you started speaking, just like you said, to some high school, some other students. So you were doing that kind of on your mission to try to help out the the kid that was somebody in your position. Um, So you were trying to was, was it kind of like a, more of an inspirational talk? Or were you trying to teach them certain things, or kind of how did you start to, you know, build your
1: style like as well, a speaker? That was a lot different style probably than what I do now. But it was for me, it was more of a warning. You know, I was warning kids. You know, don't mm-hmm. don't hang around with the people you hang around with. Don't uh, do drugs. Don't mm-hmm. get involved in alcohol. Don't make dumb decisions. Go to school. It was more of a warning kind of thing from mm-hmm. my own life right? You know, about how I had uh, hmm. done everything I could to sort of screw it up. And then finally came to the realization that I was screwing it up and better make some changes. So, you know, my, my style and my message is very different now, 30 years later, I've been in the industry now 30 years speaking. I graduated college in 1988. Hmm. And as we record this, it's 2018. Um, you know, so I've been doing this for 30 years. And of course, it's it's changed a little. And now I'm I'm speaking about influence and character based influence and who you are and how that determines whether or not people follow you or buy from you. Hmm, I see. Um, So, you know, what, what was sort
0: of your, did you have like a kind of like a, I don't want to say a big break, but like, was there a particular event or two that occurred where, you know, somebody offered you you know, a significant amount of cash to speak for the first time where that happened, or you made some real strides in your business that sort of changed the game. I'm sure it was definitely, um, you know, a step-by-step process for you. Definitely did not happen overnight. But looking back at that now, um, like what what were just some of like the main success foundational pillars in your own sort of career that, you know, we're a ladder step into the you know, the Chris that I'm talking to today, well, if that makes the, sense.
1: Yeah, it makes total sense. And the main thing, I was speaking – you know, I was doing my speaking and doing all that kind of stuff and having a great life. And, and I started ghostwriting for a guy named John Maxwell. Are you familiar with John Maxwell? Of course. <laughs> I was ghostwriting for John back in the early 2000s. And um, I got a call from the people at Jim Rohn International. And the people at Jim Rohn International said, "Hey, we want you to come and ghostwrite for Jim." And I said, "Well, you know what? It's good timing for me to come work with you, but it's bad timing for ghostwriting because I've decided I'm giving up ghostwriting. I'm not gonna, hmm. I'm not gonna do that. But I'll co-write." So I told Jim that I would co-write with him, and uh, we ended up co-writing the Jim Rohn One Year Program. We ended up co-writing the book, the Twelve Pillars, and of course now. My name's on a book with Jim Rohn, which he's a legend in the industry, gave Tony Robbins his first job, you know, all of that, right? And so that was a big break for me. Then I ended up with my own television show down in Dallas. And then from there, uh, the, the network there wanted Zig Ziglar to have a TV show, but Zig was getting older, didn't want to carry the show by himself. So he wanted kind of a host. So they offered me the job to be the host of the Zig Ziglar True Performance Show. So... You know, sometimes people will say, "How do you be? How do you, you know, how do you become successful in the speaking business?" And I'll say, "Well, first you have John Maxwell call you, then you have Ramon call you, then you have Zig Ziglar call you, and it's as simple as that." You know, once you do those things, everything else just works out fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, I think that's really interesting. Um, like, I, I recently started my speaking career just like in the last two months, and it's been this entire whirlwind of. Growth and explosion. But, you know, to dig a little bit deeper into that, um, like, do you remember your first, like, big speaking engagement or, like, the first time that somebody gave you money to do it or or anything kind of of pivotal like that?
1: I think a couple of interesting moments. I mean, I've given 2,000, 3,000 speeches over the last 30 years. So Mm. um, I think a few interesting highlights were. Uh, I was charging $4,500 at the time. Now I charge between twenty and 35000 for a speech. Hmm. And at the time, this was 20-something years ago, I was charging 4500 And I was the last speaker this company was hiring. And uh, she said, well, how much do you charge? And I said, 4500 And she said, well, I have $6,000 left in my budget. Um, you know, can I just pay you 6,000? And I said, absolutely. And so I thought that was funny because what a lot of people don't realize in the speaking business is that these companies have budgets and if they don't use their budget, they won't get it next year. They'll say, well, you made it work last year on this amount. You know, you don't need that much this year. So she wanted to make sure that she spent the entire $6,000. I remember the first giant speech I gave. I mean, I was given speeches with 500, a 1,000, you know, 1,500 people in it. Uh, but my first big giant stadium event, which I've done many of over the years, was um, at Detroit's Joe Louis Arena. And it's where the Red Wings play. And I think it's where the Pistons probably play. Maybe not. They, I don't know if they play there. But it's a giant arena. You know, it seats 20,000 mm-hmm. plus people. And, you know, being picked up at the hotel in a limo and being driven into the bowels of the of the stadium and then being walked by all these people into a green room and then, you know, somebody with a headset and a microphone comes and grabs you and walks you through all these, you know, corridors. The next thing you know, you pop up and there's a big black drape and you hear somebody talking about you and telling the audience how great you are. And and then they whip open the curtain and the music plays and I always come on to Thunderstruck by AC/DC, and uh, you walk out on that stage and there's 20,000 people you know, on their feet clapping. And that was pretty uh, that was pretty crazy. Uh, you know, very, very interesting. Biggest speech I ever gave was in Los Angeles, 25,000 people. Um, I've given speeches all over the world. I spent three days doing a seminar in Russia, in St. Petersburg, Russia. Russian people were amazing. You know, one of the things I've loved about travel is you realize politicians will fight and governments will fight, mm. but the people for the most part, I, the Chinese people love Americans. The Russian people loved Americans, uh, went to Egypt twice. have spoken in Egypt twice mm. you know, been all over the world. And, um, and so, you know, some of the unique places I've seen the, the pyramids, uh, St. Peterov castle in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, the Great Wall in China, Tiananmen Square, you know mm. uh, live, you know going and speaking in Australia, just all over the world, just amazing um places I've been able to see and and people I've been able to meet.
0: I absolutely love what you just said about people um i had the had the honor of going to Israel a few months ago, and you know over there. I just sort of started to understand exactly what you told me like you know the politicians will fight these people will fight when in reality a lot of the you know Israelis and the Palestinians that I met were really good friends and based on what I saw of course there's conflicts everywhere but people at them like at the core of them are really for the most part just loving people and they're sort of the same everywhere you go Every culture, you know, they have their own nuances and this and that. But I think really the core of humanity and being a speaker, I think you really get to to see that.
1: Yeah, I gave so Chris, a, I gave a speech to seven thousand Iranians maybe four months mm-hmm. ago, and I did it here in Scottsdale. They were in Tehran, Iran, and I did it via I don't know Skype or Zoom or something like that. And they had my face up on the screen and and 7,000 people in a room there and and as i closed my speech i said essentially what you and i have been talking about look our our governments may fight and politicians may mm. you know chastise the other and you know all that kind of thing but i want you to know that americans love you the people and and we know that you love us and we're all the same we all want love we all want our children to grow up and have a better life than us and they gave me like a 2 minute standing ovation i wasn't even in the room wow wow Man, this stuff is powerful. And I
0: think it's just sort of accelerating with the different forms of communication that we have access to today. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, Chris, when I'm looking at your career here, you know, it sounds like you started off as a speaker sort of out of, you know, your own need and desire to help others at a primitive level. Um, So, you got into passion from my perspective. Um, excuse me. You got into speaking from my perspective out of your own heart and passion. But were you a a natural speaker? How much did you have to train? Um, was this a process for you where you know you you had to hire a bunch of people, or you just kind of naturally, intuitively playing it, or like? You as a speaker, um, you know, kind of at your core from like a skill standpoint, how has that evolved over the years and how did you continuously take that next
1: step? Well, I am a natural speaker. I always have been uh from the time I was a little kid um I was the kid in high school that did the morning announcements when you when the final bug <laughs> rang and and uh you know somebody got on the microphone and said, "Good morning, it's Tuesday morning, the thirteenth. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance." That was me uh you know today at lunch, it's going to be fish sticks and tater tots you know whatever that was me so <laughs> that's what I did. Um, in college, I did a little bit of college radio. I did the, um, college, um, basketball games, the in-house, uh, announcer at the basketball games. So, you know, uh, let's stand for the pledge or let's stand for the national anthem. Your starting lineups are, you know, now at the free throw line is, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I did that. So I've always been naturally gifted. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that I don't work at it. And I do work at it. Um, I'm always looking for what works and what doesn't work. Some speakers will actually have somebody come in and watch them. They'll pay somebody to come watch them and critique them and work with them. I've never done that. But um, I always ask after my speeches, you know, is there something I could do better um, you know, is there something that, uh, I did really well? What did you like? What didn't you like? Um, I'll ask my wife, Denise, I'll say, Hey, you know, what was, what was good? What was bad? You know, was there something I could have done better? I'll, I'll ask her that from time to time when she's there with me. And, um, but I watch the audience. So I have crafted the speech that I give now. I've done it a thousand times now and, and I've crafted it. I know before I say something that people are about to laugh. Or I know now I, when I'm about to say something where I know that even though they're sitting there without their pen in their hand, I know they'll grab their pen and write down what I'm about to say because I, I've just seen it so much. And I study the audience while I'm speaking. Um, and, uh, and, and then I, I notice when it falls flat, sometimes you'll get an audience. I was in Washington DC last week, giving a speech and a um, uh, couple times like what 99% of the audiences will laugh at. They didn't laugh. And I thought, Oh, that's interesting. And then we did a, it was a, it was actually a, a seminar for people who want to become speakers. So we had a panel discussion afterwards where the guy sort of asked me about my speech. And I talked about that. Like, I know my speech. I know when people are going to laugh. I know when people are going to lean forward. I know when they're going to feel touched. I know all those things. And so we talked a little bit about, um, uh, why people didn't laugh. Cause I'm thinking while I'm giving my speech, I'm actually monitoring the audience and thinking, huh? So I'm still talking, but in my head, I'm thinking, I wonder why they didn't laugh at that joke. Everybody laughs at that joke, you know? Um, and so I've crafted it. I've thrown away what doesn't work. I've kept what does work. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's something that even though I'm naturally good at it, I work to be really good at it.
0: Absolutely, man. That's why you're the best. One of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, Chris, I want to know what what kind of guidance would you give to somebody like me? Uh, I'm a very young guy. I'm 21 years old. Um, I've got this podcast that's sort of taken off and in, in doing so, it's really propelled and People have invited me to, to speak at different events and whatnot, but what do you think is important for people that are just getting into the speaking game to maybe be mindful of on their journey?
1: I would say the first thing you should do, and you should contact me when we're done with the podcast is hire a coach and let me coach you. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. And, uh, when I mid nineties, I hired a coach. Uh I paid a guy seventy five hundred dollars in like nineteen ninety five might have been ninety four might have been ninety six and I got a coach because the speaking business isn't just getting up for an hour and giving a good speech. it's a speaking business. And it's about marketing and it's about follow up and it's about prospecting and it's about your speech and mm-hmm. it's about your website and it's about your branding, it's about your positioning, you know, all of that stuff, right? So when somebody says, I'm in the speaking business, they, what they really, a lot of them mean is I'm a speaker, but they forget the business part of it. And, you know, negotiating fees and and targeting different groups in different ways. You know, selling to a corporation is different than selling to an association uh, on many different levels. Uh, selling to network marketing companies is different than selling to a standard, typical, you know, corporate world. And so um, I tell everybody, you should have a coach because what you're going to pay that coach is going to save you more money. I'll give you an example, of, you know, 20... Three years ago, whenever it was, 1995, I hired a coach. I paid him $7,500. I didn't know, man, $7,500. That's crazy. And the first thing he told me, I was charging $1,500 a speech. And one of the very first phone calls we had, he said, Chris, we got to talk about your speaking fee. And I I was a relative newbie, you know, and and I said, "Uh, okay, am I charging too much? He goes, no, you're charging way too little. I said, really? And he said, yeah, when you only charge $1,500 a speech, you're considered a throwaway speaker. Nobody respects you. You're Mm -hmm. the guy they hire for filler because they have a little extra money and they need 45 minutes to kill. So you need to raise your fee and we're going to double your fee to $3,000. So essentially in the next five speeches I gave by charging three instead of 1,500, I paid back the $7,500 I'd spent with this guy on one piece of advice. Mm. And I had a guy call me the other day. He wants me to to coach him, and particularly on his book, getting his book out, and then branding himself and becoming a speaker. And he had been talking to me for a few weeks, and he was going to call me up. He was going to sign up. He was going to make the payment. And he calls me up. And he says, "Chris, I I'm so embarrassed. I don't have the money to pay you." And I I I already paid this other guy a bunch of money and he took a lot of money from me and it didn't work, which is why I'm calling you. I'm a little gun shy, blah, blah, blah. So I say to this guy, I say, how much do you mind me asking how much you paid this other guy? $400,000. And I'm like, dude, that's a house. You, you gave this guy a house to, to, to have you, help you write your book And sell it and brand yourself. I'm like, if you would have just come to me and I'd have told you don't do it, I would have saved you $400,000. So somebody who can coach you, whatever business, if you're in in financial services, hire a coach who's been in the financial services industry. If you want to become a speaker, hire a coach who can help you with the speaking industry. Because they're going to give you tips to make more money and they're going to give you tips to not waste or spend spend your money on frivolous things it, it as a return on investment a coach a good coach is always worth what you pay them
0: i couldn't agree more man um you know i used to while ago i used to have a, a you know a negative disposition around coaches and i just started to realize you know the the time and the money that i'm putting into this now if i have somebody to um you know, give me advice to, you know, show me the way it's done. That's already been in my position. It's going to save me so much time, so much money. Like you said, it's going to make you more money in the long term. Um,
1: yeah. And investing, investing in making yourself better. You know, I used to work for the Seattle Supersonics uh, for seven years, NBA team, and now they're the Oklahoma City Thunder. When I was a kid, I grew up um, from 11 to 18. I was a ball boy for the Sonics. And it's been fascinating to see how those, Uh, how the NBA has changed. Well, one of the things now, a lot of these NBA players, of course, they're making eight, 10, 12, $15 million a year. Now they can afford it. But a lot of them have people on staff that their sole job is to stretch them. Hmm. Now you think you pay a guy $30,000 a year to stretch you? Well, when your job is, is jumping high and running fast yeah. It's worth $30,000. Cause if you can go from, if you can go from getting, you know, six rebounds a game to 12 rebounds a game, the next time you come up for a contract, you go from 6 million a year to 12 million a year, you know, and they have chefs on staff and trainers on staff personally, not team personally. And, uh, you know, look at a, look at a, a golfer, professional golfer, and they pay hundred thousand dollars a year or more for a coach to shave three strokes off their, off their game. But the, you know, three strokes in a golf tournament could be the difference between you know seventh place with a hundred thousand dollars and second place for you know six hundred or a million, something like that, two million in some of the tournaments. So people tend to look at the money going out and say they're spending it. What they really need to do is they need to say I'm investing mm-hmm. it because they need to equate that money spent with uh, with the return on investment. Just like I've demonstrated in all these examples, how, yeah, you're spending the money, but you're getting it back in, you know, sometimes tenfold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you are, you know, coaching new and upcoming speakers, is it just a matter of picking a number for your first Uh, speaking fee and then doubling it as you go on and as you gain more leverage with marketing and, and your other speaking engagements or like what what would you advise somebody to to start almost doing to like make a name for themselves as a as a speaker
1: Well, you know, unless you're a celebrity, unless you won four gold medals in the Olympics (laughs) and you came out and you signed with a bureau and you're making 50, 60, 70 grand a speech right away. Everybody starts the same way. They start giving free speeches and um, you you start giving free speeches until somebody says, hey, I'd like to pay you to come and speak at my group. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, that's when you're like, "Okay, perfect. What's your budget? Well, we have $500. We pay speakers $500. I mean, well, now you just got your first paid speaking gig. Now it's a dance, right? You, you, you want your speaking fee to be equivalent of your, um, of your bio and your resume, right? Um, your resume and your bio and the sexiness of it and the substance of it determines how much you get paid. So you constantly have to be trying to achieve more so that you can charge more. But then there's also times uh, when markets go up and down in the speaking world. You know, back um, in 2008, 2009, 2010, when Obama came into um, office and we had the big, you know, all those companies collapsed. And then they found out these companies were spending all these money on these extravagant conventions. You know, they're like this publicly traded company spent two million dollars on their annual convention convention and that shareholder money and all of a sudden everybody was afraid that they were going to be put under the microscope so they started cutting conventions and one of the first things they did to save money at conventions was speakers so you know they're like and this was common for somebody to say Hey, you know what this year um, we're not doing any outside speakers because our budget's typically been a quarter of a million dollars a year on outside speakers, but frankly, we're just going to have all our senior vice presidents do it this year. So every senior vice president was assigned a you know a forty five minute speech to give so that they didn't have to spend the quarter of a million dollars. So there are times that the market will determine what the the fluctuation is on the price, but it's a little bit of a a little bit of a science, a little bit of an art. Um, you know, if I wanted to, I could double my fee right now. And, you know, I, I could, I don't know if anybody would pay it. Um, but a, a friend of mine always says he's thinking about raising his uh, speaking fee to a million dollars and all he has to do is get one guy a year to pay it <laughs> Yeah. So, instead of, instead of charging 20 and needing 50 people to pay it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, you know, when, Going back to what you said before about how you kind of crafted this one speech that you've worked off of that you've given thousands of times, how do you how do you go about constructing that speech? Like I'm, I, you know, I'm sure um, it it's definitely changed for you over the years, but you know what? Like to really get down to the core of it, like what what makes a topic worth speaking about? How do you figure that out?
1: If that makes sense. Well, I think people need to speak on something that that is at an intersection. And here's what I mean at an intersection. It's your passion and market um, and marketability, right, or market demand. So if you say I am passionate about crocheting. Okay, you can love crocheting. You could be the world's top crocheting expert. Not a big demand to pay people to come to crocheting conferences and, and speak, right? Mm. So that's not a that's not a a topic or a business that's going to be very uh, very successful, right? So you have to find something that is um, your passion, that you are an expert in, that has uh, a large enough market that would allow people to pay you whatever it is that you're charging. So, you know, I have friends that talk about innovation. I have friends that talk about diversity. I have friends that talk about dating, uh, friends that talk about, um, leadership. I have one friend, uh, a guy named Larry Winget. Uh, he's my podcast co-host. We have a podcast and, and, uh, um, he is—he calls himself the pit bull of personal development, which means he's the guy that you hire to come in and he basically just tears you up for an hour. Uh, you know, the names of his books are "Shut Up, Stop Whining, and Get a Life." That's one. <laughs> uh, your kids are your own fault. Uh, You're broke because you want to be. Grow up, hair. You know, these are the, these are the kinds of books. And so, as as wide and as diverse as there are topics to speak on in the world there are audiences that will listen to it. There's a hundred thousand meetings a day in America. So every state on average has 2000 meetings a day. Now, not all of them are hiring speakers, but that being said, there's enough meetings going on every single day all across the the country uh, and the world that if you work at it, you can get yourself booked regularly.
0: Mm -hmm. And in terms of, you know, constructing that speech, I know you said that it's also about kind of looking at the audience and and interacting with them. And I've talked to a lot of other speakers and, you know, they've also said that. But, you know, what, you know, for me, based on my experience as just a super, super new speaker, when I'm talking and I'm looking at the audience, I'm trying to get feedback, but like, what, what does that actually mean when somebody says like, look at your audience, like make sure you're interacting to them and you're not just talking to them?
1: Well, I don't know that I agree that you have to interact with them. I do interact with them. I mean, various people do various things. Some people walk out in the audience and they talk to the audience. I'm more of the ask questions and have people raise their hand if they agree with it kind of thing, just to get them engaged and you know raising their hand or, mm. or whatever. Um, it keeps them engaged and, and involved. Um, for me, when I talk about constructing a speech, I start with, okay, you've got an hour ballpark an hour sometimes it's 30 to 45 minutes sometimes it's an hour 15 to hour and a half but for the most part on average about an hour so you you need I, i'm i'm very much in terms of the construction of it so you need to have an introduction you need to have an a closing and then you need to have three to five points uh in that that you're going to teach them something And so I make the point, then I tell a story, then I reiterate the point, then I might tell another story, then I reiterate the point, and then I go to the next point. So the introduction is all designed to build your own credibility and set the plate for uh, what the topic is going to be and why you're an expert on it. Then, you know, for example, my speech is based on the four points of my book, The Art of Influence. Uh, So the first one's integrity, the second one's optimism, the third one's service, and the fourth one is excellence. And so that's what I talk about, how to gain trust, admiration, loyalty, and respect from people through integrity, optimism, service, and excellence. And uh, and I tell them, you know, that's what I'm going to talk about, and here's what we're going to learn. And then I talk about integrity, and then I talk about optimism, and then I talk about service, and then I talk about respect. I mean, uh, uh, excellence, which gains mm-hmm. respect. And then I wrap it all up and I talk to people about, you know, being an influencer and impacting the world and life is short. And the only thing that matters is leading others and making a difference. And then I'm done. And the only th- other thing I would say about construction of a speech is I used to do some speech coaching for politicians. I've worked with people running from president, all- mm-hmm. dog catcher. And I always tell people you have to take people through a cycle of emotions. You, you can't just speak at the same level the entire time. You have to talk fast sometimes and slow sometimes. You have to be really loud sometimes, and then sometimes you have to be very quiet. You constantly have to be moving people through a cycle of emotions mm-hmm. and auditory response and physical response. Because I, I read a study once that only the top uh, half, one half of one percent of speakers can keep anybody's attention for longer than twenty-two minutes. And then people just start to drift. it's just natural unless you're engaging the audience and making their brain and their emotion cycle. So when I would do speech coaching with people, I actually um, have little emojis I use where if people are clapping, then you put a hand right, and if they're sad, then you put a little teardrop and you know if uh if they're standing, you put a standing person you know whatever you can you can go through a speech, a written out speech that someone gives and mark it up. And what you want is you want it to go through a rotation, you want them to be laughing, then quiet, then taking notes, Mm. clapping, then you know, you want to rotate them through those that cycle of emotions.
0: Hmm.
1: That's genius.
0: One of the things that I've realized, and I'm interested in hearing your take, but for me, I've learned that the greatest thing about speaking is the people that come and talk to you after or the um the response, the messages, the emails you get from people that listen to your speech and you know, for me, I just found that it's a great way to like scale the the unscalable of of actually talking to people. Um I know you are like the the sort of speaker. I'm sure you love speaking, but kind of like looking at your career holistically and looking at everything you do, like, what do you enjoy the most? Like if you could put a finger on it.
1: I think having people tell me that they got something out of it. So I gave this speech and it was a two day conference and we had dinner at this guy. The guy that put it on is a very well-known public figure and he puts it on a couple of times a year, um, author, but very, very well-known businessman. And we had dinner last night at his, Seven million dollar uh, home, and um, so all the people, all fifty people, and then the speakers, we were all over there. And remember, I mentioned earlier this woman who's one of the wealthiest women in America, in the whole world, for that matter. Um, she came up to me afterwards, or not afterwards, but in the in the dinner, and Denise and I were there, and we were talking to her, and she said, "You know, i would never thought about integrity." I talk about integrity all the time, but I've never thought about it, that the root word of integrity is the same root word of the word integer, the math term, until you said it, but it makes sense, and that an integer is a whole number, and integrity is about operating out of wholeness and not being divided. And dividing and treating one person one way and treating another person another way. I've never thought of it that way. But I'm going to start thinking about that. And I'm going to use that with my company. I think she has 200,000 employees in the company she owns. And and that was a proud moment for me because I know that the words that I spoke the day before that she heard, she has the ability to go out and to take some of those lessons and now reach 200,000 people. And, you know, if 50,000 of those people actually take it and implement it with their families and their little leagues and their churches and their neighborhood watches, those 50,000 people might reach a million people. And so words spoken in a little hotel here in, in the Phoenix area um, can have a ripple effect and, and really touch a million people or more.
0: That's amazing, man. I think that's how we make the world go round. And I think that's how we impact people on a global exponential scale. So, Chris, you know, as somebody who has, you know, spent time with with some of the grades and you're, you know, you're constantly learning, you're constantly on this journey. I mean, is success just a matter of really understanding some of the you know the words that we hear that our grandmother always told us like integrity, respect, or you know looking looking back at that, and it was sort of a weird question, but I mean what do you what do you make of all of this is it is it about you know creating your own life? Is it about being happy? Is it about doing the most you can do because I mean like I would only imagine somebody in your kind of perspective, you're always talking about this, you're always surrounding yourself with these best kinds of people. I mean, for you, kind of like in your own life, what have been like some of your main fundamental
1: takeaways? Well, speaking of success, when you ask somebody, um, when you tell somebody, oh, he's a really successful guy, or she's really successful, we immediately think they're wealthy, or they live in a big home, or they drive a fancy car. That's our default definition of success. But that's not what success is. And, And when I in my speeches talk about this from time to time. When you unwrap it a little bit, everybody really agrees that that's not truly the definition of success. Uh, so what I teach in regard to success is that success is not the overachievement in one area, but the balanced achievement in all areas. So typically people tend to succeed in one area of their life and not in multiple areas of their life. So you'll have some guy that's really, really rich, but he's been divorced five times you know, and, and can't keep a relationship. Or you'll have somebody who's really, really successful at bodybuilding and fitness, but he's dumber than a box of rocks. Or you'll have somebody who's really successful spiritually. They're just wonderful people and they love people and they're kind hearted, but they're broke as a joke and can't pay their bills. And, and so is that really success? And I don't think that it is. Now, of course, this is my definition. If somebody wants to be, you know, super spiritual and broke as a joke, that's their choice. It's it's their life. But I don't view that as success. I view success as being the best that you can in every area of your life. doesn't mean that you're going to be the best. It means you're going to be the best that you can be because there's only one best, right? And uh, and, and so, you know, we can't monitor ourselves against the best. We have to monitor ourselves against our own capacity.
0: I love that. I love that so much. Um, You know, Chris, I just want to take a moment here and acknowledge you. This podcast is called Humans 2.0. And Chris, I think you are an individual who's really trying to make the best and really try to hustle on what they have. And somebody coming from your sort of background, you're really inspiring towards a lot of people that are in your position, that are not getting paid tens of thousands of dollars of speech but that's where you came from so i think your story is really really powerful in the fact that you know you go around speaking touching all these different people and touching certain decision makers like that lady like you said i think that's really how we're going to change the world man it's the butterfly butterfly effect it's uh it's the speaking effect it's it's whatever you call it but chris you're doing it my man Where? people reach out to you if they're interested.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we talked about uh, speaker coaching. I have a program. It's not a group program. It's personal, one-on-one with me. I never have more than 10 clients at one time. If you go to Chris Widener, which is C-H-R-I-S-W-I-D-E-N-E-R.com forward slash speaker dash coaching. So chriswidener.com forward slash speaker dash coaching. And I teach you literally over the course of a year, Everything from branding yourself, positioning yourself down to the minutiae of what pictures to put on your website and and how to write an introduction to your speech. we cover the writing of your first book uh, i 'll introduce you to my publisher i mean this is this is a comprehensive how to build your speaking business over the course of one year with somebody who has, has uh, become one of the top speakers uh, in the world over the last 30 years. So uh, if you're interested in that, that's great. If you just want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Chris Widener. Uh, Facebook, it's at Chris Widener Speaker. Same with Instagram, at Chris Widener Speaker. Um, and, um, yeah, if you just want to follow me, get some motivational quotes and, and those kinds of things. But if you're interested uh, in in speaker coaching, it's speaker Coaching. If you want just private coaching as business coaching, it's it's forward slash private dash coaching.
0: Perfect. Now the final thing, Chris, is I like to request that each one of my guests leaves the audience with a self-inquisitive question. You know, I've learned that questions can really take you to a lot of different places in in your mind and eventually in life. So I would love it if you could give my audience a self-inquisitive
1: question to ponder. I will give them a question based on the best piece of advice I ever got. And the best piece of advice I ever got was be a voice, not an echo. Be a voice, not an echo. So the question would be, are you a voice or are you an echo? Are you simply just regurgitating what somebody else told you because you don't have the wherewithal to think for yourself and and go internally and those those kinds of things? Or are you the type of person who is going to be a voice? You're going to hear what other people have to say for sure, but you're going to um, internalize it. You're going to think about it. You're going to come up with your own ideas and you're going to come back to the world with something that uh, is uniquely you. So are you a voice? Or are you an echo?
0: Man, I love that so much. Chris, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. This has been your host, Mark Metry. Damn, you made it till the end of the podcast. That's really rare in the age of digital distraction. This really means the world to me. I really hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my website, Mark Metry, or message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. My name is Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned in this episode and I'll be sure to get in touch with you and if you really really love the podcast I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left me a review it helps way more than you know let's get this humans 2.0 grassroots movement going Woo!
1: get out there and do something impactful today